What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Have you ever been under the microscope of the scrutiny of someone else? Well, that happens to all of us. In 2018, I took a two-week sabbatical to go to my grandparents' house to write the manuscript to the book about my cross-country bicycle ride. And there in two weeks, I crammed everything together. I did a little bit of mind mapping. And so if you don't know what that is, I had this huge whiteboard in my house and I had everybody that was on that trip come to my house. And we talked about stories that were okay for me to include in that book and stories that were not okay to include. So we're all on the same page. So I didn't get any bad emails. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so there we were in my house and I had this huge whiteboard. And then I began to transfer all that information to a notebook. And there, as I got to my grandparents' house, I just in two weeks just crushed it out and sent it off to the publisher. And uh, I finally received word from the guy who edited my book. And I'll tell you, you know, when you're, when you're trying to do something like that, you're really at the mercy of somebody else's scrutiny. And there he just said, hey, I love the idea of your book, but, but you're just too scatterbrained in this book and you need to take everything and you need to rewrite this book. You need to start from in Virginia, go all the way out to California, go all the way across America and then come back to Virginia. You're just too scattered here and there and everywhere good advice from somebody who edited books and understands the idea of what books are like. And so I guess I took his advice. But I share that to say this, that just as I was underneath the microscope lens of this man's scrutiny over a book manuscript, Abraham, here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17, 18, and 19, is really underneath the, the microscope lens of God's scrutiny underneath the examination of God to test his faith. The title of my message today is The Faith of Abraham, Part 3. We looked at previously, remember, in verses 18 to 19, the whole focus in this section of the writer of Hebrews is on the character Abraham. And here in verse 8, 9, and 10, we speak about his, his faith of leaving his country, going to another land, this idea of radical faith. Then we looked at how, how the focus is also on Sarah in verses 11 and 13, and how Sarah was a woman who had faith in God, and you can't study the life of Abraham without studying the life of Sarah. And then verses 13 through 16, we talked about faith again with Abraham, but today I want to talk to you about this concept of tested faith, and really... If you leave today with any thought, this is the message of the sermon. Faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. Faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. You see, God allows us to go through trials. God allows us to go through tribulations and God allows us to go through testings and temptations so that he can make our faith stronger. And today, my friends, as we're looking here, not just 2,000 years ago to the writer of Hebrews, but then going back even further into the book of Genesis, we see that the focus of these three verses is in Genesis chapter 22. So in a few moments, I'm going to get you to turn there, but, but please keep in mind that Abraham went through a great idea of testing and temptation. Imagine 
living 25 years underneath the stipulation that God promised he's gonna give you a son. And then as soon as the son is just maybe a teenager or at best or at the oldest in his early 20s, there, take your son and lay him on the altar and sacrifice him. What a great test. So today I wanna ask this question. What can we learn about faith that is tested from the life of Abraham? Surely, we've all lived long enough to know that we're all going to go through some type of testing in our walk with God. We're going to go through sicknesses. We're going to go through grief. We're going to go through trials. Maybe our loved ones are going to profess Christ and then maybe, maybe walk away in a sense. Perhaps they were never born again to believe to begin with. But, but we're going to go through some sort of trials. Maybe, maybe your trial, you're just going to get into a car accident or, or something like that. Who knows? But, but today, as we look at Abraham's life, I want you to know this, that no person who calls himself a Christian is going to escape the concept of testing and trials. And so I have three thoughts I'm going to share with you. One from verse 17, one from verse 18, and one from verse 19. And the first thought is this. This is the first thing we can learn from the life of Abraham concerning tested faith. And that's this, tested faith is purified through obedience. Tested faith is purified through obedience. Now, now remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing this book of the Bible with the emphasis that Christ is superior. Christ is greater than anything the Old Testament had offered. Greater than the prophets, Jesus is the greatest prophet. Greater than the law, Jesus, in a sense, is the law. Greater than the angels, he's the greatest messenger that God the Father ever sent to the earth. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than anything the Old Covenant had to offer. And he's a greater sacrifice. And so in this passage of scripture, we see that, that, that the writer of Hebrews is now applying all this great doctrine from chapter one to chapter 10 into the idea of living out faith every day. And he's listed all these characters. And here he transitions again by saying, by faith, Abraham in verse 17. Concluding his thoughts about this life and ministry of Abraham, it says, when he was tried, would you say that with me? Tried, say it again. Tried, one more time, please. Tried. This word literally means for somebody to be underneath the microscope lens of an examination and testing and scrutiny. And so God puts Abraham underneath this test again. Why? I don't know. I can't begin to imagine the mind of God concerning this scene. But here Abraham is placed underneath this testing and trying another time. And in fact, if you have your Bibles there, I wanna, I wanna take us back to Genesis because here in verse number seven and, and really verse 18 and 19, it is a summarization of Genesis chapter 22 and portions of chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, take them and turn back to Genesis chapter 22. Remember, Abraham was 75 years old when he, God called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees or Haran to go to this land of promise and he would be a nomad and just living in tents uh, throughout his whole life and then his son would do that and his grandfather son would do that. And then finally, one day, probably about 500 years after Abraham dies, they would begin to live and see these promises that God gave him. And here, Isaac is born. And now he's at least 
a teenager, early 20s, and, and chapter 22 begins by saying that God speaks to Abraham, and it says that God tempted him. In other words, it says that God tested him. That's what it means, to put him underneath the test, an examination. And now before you get too carried away here, we, we know James chapter one talks about how you're blessed when you endure this concept of temptation. You are blessed when you, when you go through those trials and God will give you a reward such as the crown of life. But it goes on in James chapter one says that let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. So what in the world does this mean? Here God is telling Abraham, putting him underneath this temptation or testing, take your son and kill him on the altar. Well, if he would have went through the act, it would have been evil. But in the moment right before he was gonna do it, God said no. So God is not tempting him to do evil. He's putting him under the test of faith. Do you believe me? To give your offspring. And so Abraham responds, behold, here I am. Verse two, he says, take your son, your only son. Now we know even at this stage in Abraham's life, he had another son, Ishmael, and it's not the only son that he'd ever have. But what it means, it means that this is the unique son that the lineage of the Messiah would come through. And so in a sense, it is his only unique son for this specific purpose and plan. Now we know that Adam was called the son of God. We know that Jesus is called the son of God. We know the angels are called the sons of God. And we know that children, believers like you and me are called the sons and daughters of God. So, so God has many sons and daughters, but he only had one unique son that would live a sinless life and die on the cross for the sins of humanity 2,000 years ago. And so we can say that Jesus Christ is the unique, only begotten son for a specific purpose and the sovereign plans of God. And in Genesis chapter 22, we see this all transpiring, and it's happening at this place called the land of Moriah, and there he's to offer this son as a burnt offering in verse number three. I find it very interesting. Listen, if I was Abraham, and I was probably, I don't know, maybe 110 years old here, give or take a few years, and Abraham, maybe even 115 or 120, we don't know, but can you just imagine living this long and then living out the promise of God given to you for all these years, and now you have your son, and Abraham, it receives this message, go sacrifice your son. And instantly, the Bible, the Bible does not say that Abraham looked at God and said, no, nah, I don't know. No, nah. <laughs> I got to have a consultation with my wife, Sarah, here. <laughs> got to go see my psychiatrist and my counselor here. Got to go see the pastor. I was going to say, got to go see Moses, but Moses wasn't alive yet. <laughs> so here, he, 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 he instantly obeys God. Isn't that amazing? That was probably one of the most unique aspects of this part of Abraham's life, that he instantly obeyed God. Man. And then the Bible says that he took two of his young men and his son Isaac, and they left and grabbed the wood, and they rose up and went to the place that God told him to go. And then in verse number four, the Bible says, on the third day, he lifted up his eyes and he went to see that place afar. And then verse number five, I love this verse, because we know that the promise of the Messiah is the first time that God gives us the promise of a hope in a Messiah is in Genesis chapter three. But here in Genesis chapter two, we see the very seed of the idea of resurrection. In verse five, Abraham says to the young men, abide here for a little while with my donkey and myself along with my son that I'm gonna call a little lad. We're gonna go up yonder. Yeah, maybe Abraham was a southerner. 
He's going to go up yonder and worship. But then check it out now. He says, I and the lad are going to go up yonder and worship and come again to you. So here, understand this, that even in, o, in Abraham's obedience, he believed God to just follow his word in such a way that he said, all right, God, I'm an old man, and you gave me this son. I've already seen your promises come to fruition, and if you want me to sacrifice my son, I'm going to believe you so much that you're going to raise him up again and give me that offspring that you promised. And here is the very beginning of the concept of the resurrection. Now, the Jewish people are going to point to the resurrection day of the last day. But I'm going to submit to you today that this is a symbol and a type of another resurrection, not just the resurrection of all the saints, but the resurrection of one figure, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that he takes the wood and he creates uh, and all the essential items to go uh, to, to build this altar. And verse 7, the Bible speaks about Isaac says, um, hey, um, Dad, um, you know, I, I don't have a PhD in, in this sacrifice stuff, but, but, but I do realize here that, that I don't know, Dad, um, we got the wood, we got the knife, but what about the animal? Where's the animal? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would probably say, Dad, I don't know, man, uh, I'm going to have to, <laughs> I, I'm getting a phone call, I got to go here. <laughs> Got to go home and do my chores. <laughs> I got to go feed the dog. I got to go clean the house. But Abraham said, my God, he says, my son, my God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went together and they go and they journey. In verse number nine, it says that they come to this place that God told him to go to. Abraham builds this altar and lays out the wood in order and he binds his son Isaac there. Talk about obedience, my friend. Then verse 10 says, Abraham stretched forth his hand and he had that knife, he had that dagger. And in that moment, the Bible says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord spoke to him. Now we could get into a discussion, is this God speaking to him or is this one of his angels speaking to him? We could get into that discussion, but all we know is that he heard a voice that was from God in some way, shape or form. And it said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And in verse number 12, the Bible says, God or his messenger speaks, do not lay your hand upon this lad. Neither do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, even your only son from me. Verse 13, the Bible says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looks and he beheld in behind these bushes or in behind these plants and behind the brush there, he saw a ram and he takes it and he offered that up in the place of his son. And Abraham calls this place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Today, my friends, we see that Abraham was put underneath the testing of obedience. As we think about this, Sometimes God is going to require us to sacrifice some of the things that we love so that God can use us. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, Hebrews summarize it by saying, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Now this word offer in the Bible here, it gives this idea that you're going to take something and present it to somebody else. And so here God is reminding us that Abraham presented his son as an offering to God. 
And then it goes on to say, and that he received the promises. This, this word received, I don't know, have you ever hosted somebody at your house? You welcome them in. You know, when you host somebody over at your house, you know, you're probably not going to feed them a bowl of Cheerios, you know? Maybe unless it's, you know, you're not like your grandchildren and they're like craving these Cheerios. But you have somebody over and you're going to bring out the best that you have to offer. And here, this idea of receive, it gives the idea that you're going to entertain guests and you're welcome, you're going to welcome them with open arms. And here, in other words, the Bible says here that when, when Abraham received the promises of God, he opened the doorways to his tent and to his house and he, and he embraced them all fully. My friends, we have so many more promises that God has given to us than just what God gave to Abraham. He has given us so many things in his word, and I submit to you today that every promise that God has given to us, we need to open our arms wide and receive it fully. And it says that he offered his only begotten son. Every time I read that phrase in the Bible, I think about John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. My friend, it is that simple. In order to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have to believe and entrust that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Obedience is what God desires of you and me. Faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. The idea here in these, this first verse is the testing of obedience and tested faith is purified through that obedience. But now I want to share with you from verse 18. The second thought today. Not only about obedience, but about this promise. Tested faith is purified, not just through obedience, but secondly, through promise. Verse 18, the writer of Hebrews, as his custom was, if you have trouble of reading the Old Testament, by the way, just read the book of Hebrews. It will summarize it in 13 chapters for you, or at least the main gist of all of those 39 books from Genesis to Malachi. And there are times in this book that he will specifically quote somebody by citing them by name. And then there's times that he's going to kind of more indirectly quote the Old Testament. And here is one of those fashions. He says, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is the offspring, that the lineage, the remnant of God's people that he would save the world through this lineage is what it's referring to here. But the interesting thing is, is if you go back to Genesis chapter 21 and read verse number 12, before this scene in Genesis 22, we see the promise came in that moment. Genesis 21 and verse number 12, the Bible says, And God said to Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman and all that Sarah had said unto thee, hearken to her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And then again in Romans, Paul the Apostle's writing this great letter. In Romans chapter 9, he's dealing with the past of Israel. In Romans 10, he's dealing with the present state of Israel with God. And then in chapter 11, he's dealing with the future aspect of Israel and God. But in Romans chapter 9, in verse number 7, the Bible says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is a recurring phrase, not just in Genesis, but also in the New Testament, reminding us that God had a special purpose and a special plan for this only son named Isaac. Just like God has a special purpose and a special plan for his son, Jesus. And that was redemption. That was so that we, There on the the marketplace of sin, slaves to sin, that his son could step in and pay the price so that we could be 
received into the family of God. Reconciled. The idea that, that parties that are, ha, ha, fellowship has been broken, that that party can be back in fellowship and in union once again. Forgiveness so that, that we could lift up our voices and say, God, forgive me of my sins. And our sins could be totally removed from the mind of God. Do you believe the promises of God, my friends? Do you believe that promise where it says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Do you believe that promise that says, believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be saved? Do you believe that promise that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in his heart that God has raised from the dead, you shall be saved? Do you believe that promise today, my friends? My friends, that promise is rooted and anchored in this phrase that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. What else can we learn about this concept of tested faith? We know we're called to obey God. We know we need to believe the promises of God. But thirdly today, I want to draw your attention to this thought. Tested faith is purified through perseverance. Tested faith is purified through perseverance. Notice verse 19. In fact, notice the life of Abraham. From my understanding, if, if my memory is correct, at 75 years of age, Abraham receives this call to go from one land to another. At 100 years of age, he receives this promise fulfilled in his son. And he lived, from my memory, if it serves me correctly, he lived to be 175 years old. So for 100 years, he was walking in tune with God. And for 100 years, he persevered in his life and his relationship with God. And here in verse number 19, the Bible says accounting. Now, this is a unique term in the New Testament. This word accounting, it gives the idea of taking inventory of. Have you ever been to Kroger? And you saw the guy there with that little device or the lady there going around and scanning the code, the barcode in, in the aisle. They're taking inventory or, hey, we need to buy more of this. We need to buy more of that. Here the idea is simply this, that, 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 that Abraham took inventory of God here. Now this word for God is theos, and it's the word for the supreme God of the universe and it says that he is able, this is the word able that we get dynamite from, the power of ability here, that God, in fact, Abraham took inventory of God. He looked in this direction about God. He looked in that direction about God. He looked into his word that he heard from God, <coughs> and he observed that God was able to fulfill his promises. And he took inventory that he was able to raise his son up even from the dead. Then check it out now. It says, from whence also he received him in a figure. Would you say the word figure with me? Figure. This word means parable. It means an illustration. And so here we see that in a sense, when, when, when Abraham took his son and laid his son on the altar, in Abraham's eyes, Isaac was dead. And then God said, do not kill him. And Abraham received this resurrection in a figure when Isaac got up off of that altar. 
And so that's what we see taking place in Genesis chapter 22. This was a figure or typology, if you will, of things to come. And check it out now. In Genesis chapter 22, in verse 15, or actually really, I want to draw your attention back to verse 5. It says that Abraham said to the young men that were with him, stay here for a little while with my donkey, and I and my son, the lad, we're going to go up there and worship. And we are going to come back again. That's the emphasis here. We are going to come back again. So he was believing that God, if he required him to sacrifice his son, that he was going to raise his son up again, and he was going to have offspring. And so in, in Genesis chapter 22, down in verse 4, 15 now, it says, the angel of the Lord calls out to Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and you have not withheld thy son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then check it out now, verse 19. Abraham returned to his young men. He returned with his son as he said he would. And there they abided in Beersheba. This setting of this sacrifice scene is in or on Mount Moriah. Historians tell us that this would one day be the scene and the place where another son would be gruesomely murdered where another son would die a death that he did not deserve to die. There he would be beaten and whipped and bruised and nails drew, driven into his arms and his wrists and a, and, and a crown of thorns driven into his skull and their blood would drip from his veins and from his body and from his corpse there to be the sacrificial lamb of God that was predicted to take place in Genesis chapter 22. And my friends, it's so interesting here that Genesis chapter 2 and the Jewish mind, they see this is just the resurrection day. But I'm here to tell you something. We have the full revelation in the New Testament. It is revealing to us that that scene is not just referring to any ordinary resurrection. It is referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ who defeated death and defeated hell, and defeated the grave. Because here, in verse 19, I, I simply am reminded that, that this son, Isaac, is a figure of the greater son of God named Jesus. And if God gave Abraham the strength to persevere in this belief that God would give him land, that God would give him a son, and that God would give him a nation, then I hope that all of us here today will dig a hole into the ground and stand firmly in that hole and pour cement into that hole and stand in the cement firmly fixed and settled that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that Jesus Christ did die on the cross for lost sinners like you and me, like we once were, and that Jesus was placed in that borrowed tomb and that Jesus rose again and that Jesus offers life to all who will believe on him. 
And that one day Jesus shall return and split the eastern sky and judge this world and establish his kingdom. I will persevere. Will you? You know, the other day, I went out to California to have my dissertation defense. And only half of us were able to do that. And um, so I had to have a Zoom call. And so last week I had this Zoom call, and there I was again, underneath the microscope lens of scrutiny amongst these professors. And you're talking about a humbling experience. Just to give you an idea, I wrote 165 pages. I spent uh, so much time, uh, an entire year, devoted to this project. 51,000 words with over 250 citations. And here, in this time, these professors says it wasn't quite good enough. And I say that to say this, that one day there's going to be a lot of people standing before God and they're going to say, hey, I've done this and I've done that. And God is going to say, hey, this was not quite good enough. Depart from me. I never knew you. If you're not willing to go through the test of obedience and the test of promise and the test of perseverance, then I wonder, what kind of faith do you have? Faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. What's up guys, Brian here again Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com Or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship Until next time, God bless I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my eye I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.